Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Jacqueline Davis. Jacqueline is the founder of Binge Breakers, where as a bulimia recovery coach, Jacqueline helps her clients to change their habits, shift their mindset and engage in intuitive eating. Jacqueline joins us today to discuss breaking the binge purge cycle and how you can recover from bulimia. Hello, Jacqueline. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. As I was telling you earlier, I I slept in a little bit, so Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm, I'm still recovering from sleep, but I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is absolutely fine. Um, mm-hmm. It's. I feel like sometimes in the morning you have like misty little thoughts when you're not quite awake. So uh, it could be interesting yeah. to see what you say. <laughs> it's that sleep lag, you know, you're, and your yeah. voice isn't quite right and everything. So yeah, it's funny. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Well, settle yourself in, um, do what you need yeah. to to sort of get comfortable. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to speak to you because I think I've spoken to a few people about bulimia on the podcast for their personal experience um but I think you're the first person as a coach that I've spoken to um hmm. so it'll be really interesting to chat to you about that so I wondered if you wanted to maybe start by sharing a bit about your personal experience and maybe that how that's led to what you're doing in your job today yeah yeah um when it comes to my personal experience uh I just usually tell people like how I got into this field and my experience Mm -hmm. with bulimia and I'll give you the abbreviated version, but basically um, I did struggle with an eating disorder, anorexia and bulimia in high school, but it resolved pretty quickly. But obviously that's kind of like the first sign of something going wrong. And I'm not sure what really caused it other than I had switched high schools, switched to a completely different school, new events, and always kind of struggled with insecurity. So Maybe that's how that manifested, but my parents got me therapy and I quickly recovered. And then after I left high school, I went to college and that is when I started getting really hyperfixated on fitness and losing weight. I had, you know, after 18, my body changed a little bit just because I was becoming more of a fully grown adult woman. And I think that scared me. And so I set off to lose, you know, just 10 pounds, even though obviously no one necessarily needs to lose weight, but there was absolutely no medical need for me to lose that weight. And so I went on and um, tried to do that. And then my whole college experience kind of became this isolated quest to lose weight, gain weight, lose weight, gain weight, and just all throughout college. And it's a real shame because I, my college experience was extremely isolated and I wish that I hadn't been so focused on weight loss. Otherwise I might've had a better college experience. But then um, I did have a really good experience where I got to go to Manchester, England for a year. And mm-hmm. that was really amazing. And I went with three of my other students in my program, all American students. And we got to live together in this house in Manchester, figuring out the world. And that experience really got me out of my eating disorder, even though I didn't know that what that's what it was at the time. Uh, and got me to kind of try new things and go out on my whole. So even though I still had um, behaviors, I was like restricting. Sometimes I would just do some weird stuff with food, but it was never full-blown bulimia. And my roommates picked up on it, but they never didn't know what to say. But they got me out of my shell a lot of times. And I had a time in my life, obviously coming off of restriction and also eating, going, traveling a lot and eat 
experiencing new foods, I did gain weight from that experience and probably the most weight I had gained since graduating high school. And then when I got back from Manchester, obviously I was coming down from a massive high of being there and then completely isolated again all of a sudden. And that's when my eating disorder or disordered behavior with food really took a turn to the darker side. And I started being really shaming myself, telling myself lots of awful things and feeling really bad about myself. And so finally I sat on to this like massive, again, I'm going to lose the weight once and for all. And that was a very extreme diet. I won't go into details. Um, because I don't want people to, you know, get too triggered or anything like that. But it was, it started off as like a regular weight loss, which is already pretty restrictive. And then it turned into just like, I, I remember staying at home for Christmas, staying at my apartment in my college town for Christmas break, just so that I could do nothing but not eat and exercise and no one would pick up on it. So obviously eventually one day I accidentally binged on some food. And I remembered that in high school I had somewhat been able to purge. And so I tried it then out of desperation just because I had lost most of my weight and I was so fearful of going back to that. And then I kind of, um, it actually worked, unfortunately. And uh, that's what spiraled into my eating disorder. And so from there, it was just like four years of back and forth, crazy binge and purging behavior. And I moved out to Colorado during that time to be with my partner, but I was very depressed and eventually fell into coaching, not for bulimia, but just for helping my life. Cause I was like, so such a mess. And I was always looking for weight loss advice and stuff like that. But the coaching really helped me get together with my relationship and my behaviors and my career. And then eventually I asked a coach, I was still binging and purging, but I had become a lot less shameful about it and a lot more level-headed about it. And I was like, I am doing this thing and I don't want to keep doing it anymore. And she just told me about this method called pausing and I tried it and it actually worked. And that's what spun all of what I do today because I stopped binge and purging that time and fell into intuitive eating and all that. So that's kind of the long-winded version of how I got to become into this field. What does pausing mean? Yeah. So she told me, and I've kind of, I have this whole method now in my programs that I tell people, but she basically said like, I'm doing this thing. I don't want to be doing it anymore, but I keep binging and purging and it feels just so automatic. And I was kind of already learning about how habits affect your behaviors. And there's this, this habitual aspect of binging and purging. And she was like, have you ever heard of the art of the pause? And she talked about how her name was Janet Archer for anyone that wants to look her up. Like she has a book on that. Um, she basically said, when you feel that you are on the verge of doing this behavior, take the time to pause. And she said, it wasn't a, a place for you to tell yourself not to do it or to force yourself to stop. It was just a, a time to take account of what's going on and feel what's happening before you move forward and make a decision to binge and purge. Um, and obviously there's, it's more than just a decision. There's a lot of hormones going on. There's a lots of emotions going on and there's lots of reasons that you binge and purge, but taking that pause for me in that moment really helped me ground myself and be able to make a more rational decision and be able to actually stop myself from going through with that behavior. In a sense, it sounds kind of obvious, um, without <laughs> yes. sounding rude, but actually like when you're in the moment of that and that compulsion is there. And I think you just said about like the um, sort of ritual of it or like the habituation of it. And I think often with those behaviours, it can just be something that you do sometimes and then also it automatically becomes something that you just do and actually you don't mm -hmm. take a step back and think about, you know, how's this affecting me? What impact is this having? And I was interested there when you said, you know, 
when you first went to um, look into pausing, you're do- we're doing a behaviour that you didn't want to do, but you couldn't stop. And I just wondered if you kind of had a reason as to, you know, you knew that you didn't want to do it, but do you have any re- thoughts about, you know, why you couldn't stop? Was it because it was just kind of embedded into your day to day or was it, was it deeper than that? When, for me, I felt like I couldn't stop because the behavior was so automatic. I didn't know that Mm -hmm. at that time, but I would just suddenly feel like I was in front of the cupboard or I was in the grocery store near my house that I'd stop by after work to binge and purge. And it was like, before I had even thought about doing it, I was already doing it. And it was like, okay, well, we're here, so we have to continue. It was like the momentum built too fast for me to be able to stop it. And I felt kind of powerless against it. But when I actually took the time to pause and give myself that time, and again, I want to preface this with, I had already been eating more food. I was kind of past this restriction phase and I was also doing a lot of emotional work. So it made it easier to do these things. But taking that time to kind of recognize my triggers earlier on and be bringing more awareness to the situation allowed me to stop before that momentum built, before it felt like I couldn't stop it anymore when people refer to sort of the binge purge um i mean i nearly just said it there they refer to it as a cycle so you kind of said there that like the the um the binging you kind of almost um, were in a store and you kind of had to go through with it regardless mm-hmm. because you were there what really was it that it felt that it was providing you a lot of my bulimia i think was this I always talk about it in my podcast, but like this numbing agent, it felt like it was my wine or, you know, at the, at the evening or smoking or something like that. And that's after a lot of emotional work. Cause I used to think it was like this deep, dirty, dark, disgusting thing that I did, but I, it actually helped me to think of it like, it's just my wine. It's just my cigarette. So I was a little less shameful about it, but it really felt like that's what it was because obviously the binging and purging started from extreme restriction. And I just kind of broke at one point. And um, then I had to regain the weight from the binging and purging too, which I was obviously emotionally distraught after, but I had regained weight. I was at a weight that wasn't, um, that was sustainable for me. And I wasn't restricting, although I was mentally restricting. So I think a lot of the food binging and purging for me, it was from this mental scarcity around food, but I think more so it was just emotional relief. And I was constantly mean to myself, constantly shaming myself. I And the reason I had gone to coaching was because my life felt like it was a complete mess because I was not really taking care of anything. And so binging became that escape from my daily life. And I think that was the main reason I did it so often. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've had quite a lot of people say before that it is that sort of numbing, um, mm-hmm. just that kind of emotional escape from, from what's going on. Um, and then did the purging arise, you know, was that a thing just to kind of get rid of the food or was it a form of self-harm or how did that show up for you? Yeah, it was mainly a compensatory behavior for the food. Mm -hmm. I would occasionally purge after regular meals, but it was often, it was never like I I dreaded purging every single time. And I think most people that they, if it's a self-harm or, you know, something like that, they still dread it. But for me, it was never something that I took much pleasure from. I hated it. It sounds like something so horrible to go through, but not being able to step away from it um Mm -hmm. and i think often that can be something that people really struggle to understand with bulimia in particular is that it's it's such a horrible thing to put yourself through but you just Mm -hmm. it it seems inescapable so you said about the 
pausing was there anything else that helped you to step out of that constant cycle because I can imagine the cycle overall the behavior you know it numbed it but then you you purged and I can imagine you just kind of went back to the same feelings every time Mm -hmm. yeah so like to explain further the, the cycle for me was very much so shame myself all day and even if I wasn't binging and purging I was constantly listening to podcasts and music and anything to just kind of escape my own thoughts so it's like kept myself as busy as possible so I didn't have to listen to whatever I was thinking and then once I finally was alone that's when the binging and purging would often happen like the clockwork um and so what the cycle would be for me is that you know shame myself constantly and then finally numb out with food but then feel really guilty for that afterwards is this like this whole spiral of like we did it again oh my gosh we're so we're so weak we have no willpower what's wrong with us i really thought i was just crazy all the time and and then um the sad part was is that during this whole bulimia thing i was also constantly looking up weight loss advice i thought that was the answer and it makes sense in a way because i felt like this is clearly about food clearly i just have some sort of crazy issue with food if i could just learn how to control myself around food then I will be okay. And so I was always looking at weight loss advice. And what really helped me change a lot of my behaviors was one, I think this is a, something I did early on in my journey, even though I didn't recover till three years later. And it was, I told someone about my bulimia. And even though it, it was my partner at the time and or still my partner, sorry. <laughs> and I told him and it really helped me kind of just release some shame and not feel so alone and so crazy. So I think that was the first step and not being completely isolated. But then afterwards, what helped me a lot was just not talking (laughs) shit about myself all the time, like not being so mean to myself constantly. And it wasn't like I was telling myself, oh, you're amazing and you're perfect. I was like, stop trash talking myself at the very least. And I know it seems like it's this, I'm making it seem like this easy thing. And it wasn't, there were definitely times where I wanted to beat myself up and sometimes I still struggle with it. But I really tried to catch those thoughts of, you know, you're disgusting, you're awful. And it just kind of started saying, you know what, we're just trying, we're trying the best we can. We're a human being. We deserve love and acceptance. So that helped me out a lot and it helped drive, drive my behaviors less. And then after that, I also, um, found out the pause method and that actually really helped me with stopping the behaviors in itself. But then after that, what helped me a lot without maybe going back to that behavior, continuing that behavior was falling into intuitive eating and really trying to drop the mental restriction. And I always thought people who proposed intuitive eating were crazy because I'm like, I eat a lot and I eat all the time. There's no way if I, if I let myself be intuitive, I'm just going to eat everything. And so it really <laughs> felt very leery of it all the time. But I, when I stopped the behaviors, I was like, you know what? I'm constantly trying to restrict. I would constantly try to skip breakfast and then not eat lunch. And then of course, you know, binge as well. So there was a food aspect of it. Um, but I was constantly either thinking about food, restricting food, or trying to do something with food, and it never worked. And I would do it for four years, and it wasn't working. So I was like, let's just try to eat normally. And I didn't know that it was intuitive eating time, but I'm like, we're just going to try to eat when we're hungry, stop when we're full, see what happens. And it was such a sloppy job of it, but it eventually helped me kind of ease up on food and begin to have this normal relationship with food over time. And then the other thing I had to do was really um, deal with purging urges because it was funny. I never purged unless I binged, but then after eating normally, I really had to sit with overeating a lot because I was still doing that. Mm. And um, those were when urges to purge came up a lot. So I had to sit with the discomfort of being full, not purging, and that helped me significantly. Mm. Yeah. I think it's really interesting what you were saying there about um, 
kind of you know thinking that restriction was the answer or like dieting was the answer because it was a food mm-hmm. element and I used to work in eating disorders myself and whenever there would be a client that had bulimia they'd always be so shocked that we were encouraging them to eat regularly um mm-hmm. because they'd be like well you know I don't want to put on weight like blah 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 stuff like that and you know actually that's the key element is to be able to eat regularly like he was saying and then build on to that intuitive eating being able to eat until you know when you're hungry stop when you're full um mm-hmm. and I can imagine sort of sitting you know with that fullness um mm-hmm. when you're so used to normally being full and you know having a comp- compensatory behavior to actually sit with that I can imagine was quite um, I would say that would be quite a big chunk of the difficulty of the recovery from from bulimia yeah it really was constantly mitigating my fears of gaining weight and I will say um I was at my heaviest it's funny because now I've actually gained I'm around that weight now and I've done a lot of work with like gaining muscle and stuff like that so it's kind of funny that I'm, I've accepted this weight a lot but at the time I was at my kind of heaviest weight and heaviest body fat percentage when I decided to well, kind of do the not binge and virgin and then also do the intuitive eating. But I was scared. At first, I was kind of like this. Clearly, this restriction isn't helping anyway with my weight, which I think was helpful for me. I know some people aren't always in that situation. Their eating disorder kind of heaps their weight at a lower mark. But for me, I was like, it's not helping. So I was able to kind of get rid of that. And then also, I was still scared of gaining weight, though. I was like, what if I'm going to gain more weight? But the thing that helped me was kind of realizing, like, we're miserable all the time and it's really not helping and i just want to be normal i'm so tired and sick of this and i'm i was in my earlier 20s and i just i didn't want my life to keep on going like that so it basically took like a leap of faith and that and then when the being full and stuff like that i was kind of like you know what we just we just can't go back because i knew that if i started purging again then i would probably go straight back to binging and purging again but it's funny because you know sitting with that fullness um I just did a podcast on this actually it's releasing this friday but people there's people say sometimes like you just have to stop the purging first and people say you have to stop the binging first but to kind of uh, support that theory of you have to stop the purging first not purging really helps me sit with the consequences of overeating and that wasn't always a fun experience and not having the purge actually discouraged me from creating full-blown binges because i think it's most of the time when i overeat or something like that it would spiral into a binge because I was like, we have to purge now. So then you'd binge. And then if I knew like purging is not an option, then it was help- easier for me not to go crazy with the food. And I say crazy, yeah. I don't want people to think I actually think they're crazy. It's just, it's just <laughs> a, a word. <laughs> yeah, sure. So do you think that there is a right and wrong way to do it? Or do you think it kind of depends on the person? Obviously for you, you said to sort of stop the purging first, and then that contributed to reducing the binging but do you think there's a right and right wrong well for me actually i stopped the binging first and then the purging became more of a um okay so i stopped the binging first and then i had more urges to purge afterwards because like weird experience but then i had to be really committed to not purging i think that there's definitely multiple ways to do it with eating disorders um and it depends on the situation i said in this podcast if you are someone who it depends on why you binge, I think. And if you constantly binging because you're going to purge, then starting with a purging could be a good option. But if you feel like stopping the binging is more doable for you, try going there first. It just depends. Yeah, definitely. I suppose there's there's so many ways to recover, isn't there? And, and I would yeah. say that the best way is finding what works for you. 
um, yeah. which might be different to the person next to you. Um, at the time, even though I think the committing to that purging definitely helps, but, um, mm -hmm. at the time I wasn't willing to do that. So it's just the idea of binging and then not purging for me. It was like, there's no way I can do that. Um, and I, obviously I could have physically done it. That's the thing. But in my mind, I wasn't ready to tackle that mentally. So that's when I think, you know, you have to do whatever you're ready for. Yes. Uh, ready for first. And of course there are some things you're never going to be ready for. You just have to do it. But, um, mentally there was no way I was going to go there. So that it helped me to just tackle the binging first. I want to touch on a bit more what you just said there, because I think that's also a bit of a, a misunderstood. You said about, you know, obviously physically you could have done it, um, mm -hmm. but you just didn't feel ready. And, you know, that's something that it just really resonated with me because I sat down with my partner the other day and he was like, well, you just need to stop. And mm. I was like, well, I can't. He was like, well, you can. I was like, yeah, yeah physically I can, but mentally mm -hmm. I don't feel in a place. So I guess if people are thinking, well, if you can physically, then what's mentally got anything to do with that? Do you mind just expanding a bit more on that? Yeah. Um, and this kind of ties into what coaching is because coaching is obviously different from therapy and coaching is a lot more about identifying thoughts that you're having in the moment and behaviors you're having in the moment that are kind of limiting you and creating a path towards changing that therapy usually deals a lot more with past things and traumas and maybe more in-depth emotions that sort of stuff and so when someone can physically do something but they aren't mentally ready what i think is going on my theory is that they have beliefs that are holding them back from doing the thing that they know they are capable of doing. Um, the, the most triggering thing that was ever said to me in my eating disorder, which was actually true, but it, but it brought up so many emotions was that like, you just need to not put the food in your mouth. And obviously it's a very cruel, mean thing to say. Um, and I was like, what do you mean? You know, but it was so what triggered me about it was like, it is true. There's this physical aspect of just not putting the food in your mouth. And for me, there were a lot of, you know, restriction drivers going there that were kind of creating this, creating my um, brain to override me, basically my prime urges to override me. But also there was like this belief system for me that I couldn't stop, that I wasn't ready to stop, that, um, that this was actually helping me. And for binging in particular, I was like, this is what I need. I have to do this. Um, there's no other way that I can get through my life without this. Um, and this is what I actually want. So there's those beliefs there that kind of convince you to binge. Same with compensatory behaviors. A lot of times with purging, people are like, I think the main driver pe for people purging is if I don't do this, I will gain weight. And there's no other way that I can maintain health and balance in my life without using these behaviors. And so you convince yourself of that sometimes. And then other times it's just like, it's super uncomfortable. I don't want to deal with it. Or you feel like you need this. And exercise is a tricky one too, because it's like, there is a healthy aspect of exercise. Mm -hmm. It makes you feel good, but then it can lean into that, you know, compensatory bad behavior as well. Yeah. I really like the idea of those beliefs. Um, and I guess in, you know, in recovery, it's really important to sort of determine and underpin those beliefs to see what's going on for you. Because I think a lot of the time people just see like the behavior, um, you know, whether mm -hmm. it's restriction or purging or whatever, but don't see the emotional aspect underneath. Um, so how would you kind of unpack that if you're working with a client? How would you navigate that? Yeah, well, if someone came up and like purging, for example, and they're like, I just can't stop it. And they, they feel like though, that's the thing that they need to change. They know we identify that that's the behavior that's holding them back. Cause sometimes, sometimes it's something different depends on the stage. 
that you first want to get to a place of them understanding that this is what's holding them back and kind of help them see if they agree or not. And once they're in agreement of that, you don't want to gaslight them, but you just want to be like, do you think that this is holding you back? That sort of stuff. Um, then we come to, well, you know, in a gentle way, why are you still doing it? What, what is the reason that you're doing it? And just asking them those questions and yourself, those questions can really help you understand, first of all, help yourself feel seen and heard and empathize with yourself. Kind of like when you're arguing with someone, you have to see the other side. And then after that, you need to understand what are the reasons you should stop or can stop or want to stop. And like, then it's about, okay, well, what decision do you want to make? And do you feel ready to make the decision? Okay. Yes. Awesome. Good. If not, okay, why not? What's going on here? And then sometimes you just have to leave it at, no, I don't want to make the decision right now. And they have to sit with that for a while. Cause sometimes it's once you understand why you're doing something, you just have to be with that truth for a little while until you can move forward. And I think sometimes you just like, you know why, and then you continually do it anyway. Sometimes you have this moment of what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And then it becomes this thing of, you know what? I, th I think this reason isn't working for me any anymore. I think this belief isn't working for me anymore. I think I'm ready to change now. So that's kind of the method. I think that's a really great um, explanation. And I really like, you know, realizing that it's not quite right for you, but it's actually okay not always to be ready immediately. And I think, you know, readiness is something that I think is a bit overlooked sometimes in terms of, okay, well, here's your treatment, so off you go. Um, mm -hmm. But actually understanding if you're ready and, and why not you're maybe ready, I think is a really a big, important part that's maybe often missed out. Yeah. Well, it feels like you're just being forced along the journey versus mm -hmm. choosing it willingly. And I think when, even if you aren't choosing it, but you know why you're not choosing it, then you can sit with that and then... It's, I don't want to compare it to that because there are a lot of reasons that you're in your eating disorder, but I kind of think of like the grumpy old man that won't change and he just like sits there like pouting and he's just going to mm -hmm. stay in his pouty thing. And finally he's like, you know what, this kind of sucks. And then he moves forward. So of course <laughs> eating disorders aren't exactly like that. But I think sometimes if you can give yourself time to pout and know that you're pouting a little bit and that you're in that zone, then it, gives, it becomes easier to leave it. Sorry, my doc has an automatic food feeder and that's going off right now. So if you <laughs> can hear right. that, that's what's going on. <laughs> that's all right, don't worry. Um, He's got to eat. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we've all got to eat. So when someone's going through recovery, obviously like binging and purging are, would be a big element. When you work with clients, do you try to replace the binging and purging with something? You know, because sometimes people say like, you know, I need to find something that fills the whole of my eating disorder. But sometimes mm -hmm. I'm kind of like, I do agree with that, but also if you're just filling a hole of something is, you know, even if it's a positive thing, if that thing that gets taken away, are you just going to retreat back to the eating disorder? Mm, yeah, it's a good question. I think a, a little bit of both, not to be a cop-out answer, but so in the <laughs> beginning, I think people really, because it's a little overwhelming to suddenly fill your life with other stuff while you're struggling with that. Sometimes it works, but um, most of the time, I think what's vital for people is sitting with with the time that they would have been normally binging and purging. For me also, what helped me was I would sit with a feeling of wanting to binge for, you know, five, 10 minutes, and then I would go take a nap instead. So I totally replaced my binging and purging with napping, which isn't something that everyone has the luxury to do, but it was helpful for me because I was emotionally and physically exhausted. And that time I would have been normally spent binging and purging. I might as well do something that helps me 
recreate energy as well. So I did replace it, but then I also sat with emotions. And I think with people that I work with, they have to sit with those emotions a little bit, learn how to process them without the behaviors. And then, yeah, then I'd advise them to go do something else. And they don't have to, I don't think it's healthy for them to just sit and stare at a wall while they want to binge and purge, you know, but just a little bit and then move on. And then, yeah, I always talk about in my program how bulimia is taking up this massive space in your life and it will leave a massive hole in your life, but you do want to fill it with other stuff. And a lot of times the clients I work with are very isolated. And so it's just about relearning how to go out in the world again and like go join a class or go rekindle old friendships, friendships, stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important thing is that an eating disorder can often take away so many things in your life that are really important to you, like friendships and um, relationships in other senses and hobbies and stuff like that. So bringing them back in, um, you know, as part of something that you should have to lead a healthy life and a happy life um, Mm -hmm. seems really important. Um, And you just mentioned there about like, you know, the binging and purging was taking a lot of your energy. Um, and I know that you, I think you put a post on Instagram about burnout and how that relates to bulimia. Um, so I was really interested in kind of your thoughts around that and how they, how they intertwine. Yeah. So burnout and bulimia, the, the post you're referring to, I did this workshop in my program about how people who struggle with bulimia and then also struggle with burnout, which is basically being at this emotionally and physically exhausted state where they just can't do it anymore. Their stress accumulation is just too high and they start to kind of shut down. Literally, bulimia becomes this relief from that burnout, even though it obviously mm. um, keeps the problem going in a way. So they will turn to their behaviors as a form of release and um, yeah, release and relief of that stress. Because a lot of times with burnout, it comes from you having stress accumulation and not necessarily releasing it. Because to explain this a little bit further, there is stressors, so things that cause stress in your life, but then there's also stress that accumulates in the body. And if you're not dealing with the stress that's accumulating in the body, like for me, checking things off my to-do list doesn't take care of the stress that that to-do list caused. It just stopped the stressor. And so a lot of times people use their stress relief um, through binging and purging and behaviors and stuff like that. And that creates that kind of energy release. And it's a shame because food is funny. Food, especially calorie dense, um, calorie dense, highly rewarding food is actually great at suppressing your stress response. And Hmm. it's just unfortunate that's how it works. So it makes sense why people use that. But um, a lot of times people turn to that. So a really important thing in recovery is basically finding other ways to deal with stress. Sometimes that's just sleeping, napping. Sometimes that's using physical activity in a, in a healthy way, you know, and then also sometimes it can just be finding other ways to numb out because numbing out isn't necessarily bad. You still want to do it all the time. So maybe it's watching Netflix, having that time. Um, maybe it's laughing and calling a friend. And then also creative fun time, hobby time is really good at um, releasing stress as well. And a lot of my clients have gone on to build different careers and that has become some of their funnel for their energy and stuff like that too. So that's kind of how they correlate. Hopefully I answered that correctly. And then, um, you know, finding different ways to manage your stress is important for recovery as well, because it will come up and it will accumulate, especially if you stop, you, you stop binge and purging, you take out this major stress reliever, even though it's creating stress, it was a form of relief for you. So you can't just leave it like that. You need to do something else to help yourself out. 
Yeah, definitely. I think that's such an important thing to think about. Like, you know, obviously it is causing you stress, but equally it, it does relieve it. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, th- I think that with, with most eating disorders in terms of they have a negative impact, but they are also providing something for you. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to say positive because it sounds like the wrong sort of word, but it's a, across that, um, along that sort of line. Otherwise, I don't think you'd keep going back to it if it wasn't providing something. Um, yeah. I, I sometimes I've said on my Instagram and I've gotten people angry because of it, but there's an element of eating disorders that's fun, that's enjoyable, that provides you that, that, uh, that kind of, uh, I'm in a lack of words, but enjoyment that you like, you know, and it's, it's unfortunate, but that is the case. And I think admitting that, but then also realizing, Hey, there's a whole bunch of consequences as well. And you just need to kind of eventually side with the consequence side and realize that it provides fun and enjoyment, but it's not worth the risk, then that's where you can kind of get to the truth of the matter. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think this is a different example because we all have to eat, but you know, drugs, you know, people feel Mm -hmm. great eyes from drugs, um, but it doesn't mean that they're good for you. And I think that's, I mean, I think with eating disorders, I don't like to do like a direct comparison because, um, you know, like I just said, we all have to eat. And I do think that, you know, disordered behaviors in total shouldn't probably be in your life, but I completely agree. You know, there is, there is something about it that's you know attractive and there's a, there's a high about it, mm-hmm. um, which I think makes it, it does make it really difficult to kind of step away. Um, and I guess in that sense, you know, it, it, I don't think that it's uncommon for people to kind of dip their toe back in the water of behaviors when, when times get hard, um, you know, maybe have a, have a full relapse. Um, so kind of, how would you recommend that somebody navigates that? Cause I can imagine there could be quite a lot of confusion, a lot of shame, a lot of anger if someone's been doing really well and then they end up relapsing. Um, so how would you navigate that with a client? Yeah, um, that's a good question. When it comes to relapsing, uh, I'll just kind of, for the sake of what we're talking about, kind of clarify what a relapse means or whatever. Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's just like one binge and purge and a slip up that people treat like that, like a relapse. And most people, I think professionals don't count that as relapse. They just think that's kind of like a slip, a little lapse or something like that. But either way, like whatever it means to you, if you feel like you've relapsed in whatever capacity, I think it's important just to firstly, um, except that you're there, like kind of, because when it comes to relapsing, people get so in denial about it and so shameful about it. Really what it is, is you're just doing behaviors for whatever reason. It doesn't mean you're a terrible person. And it doesn't mean all your progress is lost. It just means that you're doing this thing again. And it is actually sometimes can be a helpful learning opportunity for a lot of people. Like I've had t- lots of clients who have done really well and then they had a slip up or a little relapse and it actually taught them a lot about themselves. And usually I posted in my private group the other day about how binging is feedback. Relapses are also feedback and they're a sign that something's going on. And it's just like telling you just like how people say depression is kind of this sign that a knock on the door, that something's going on and you mm-hmm. need to listen and pay attention. So I'd say firstly, drop the shame, stop beating yourself up, accept that you're there kind of, if you need to write down what exactly is going on and then decide, okay, what do you think you need to do in order to get out of this? And a lot of times it's just kind of going back to basics. It does not mean that you're starting over, but it does mean just going back to the basics of what you need to do beforehand. And also revisiting your, your reasons why you want to get out of it in the first place, because they've probably changed since you first started your eating disorder. Your reasons are different now. Yeah. 
I really like that, especially the sort of, you know, not not beating yourself up for maybe going back to the behaviours. Um, I think something that, you know, I've definitely noticed recently is that it has always been my one way of coping um and mm. actually looking back over the sort of therapy that i've had i've done a lot of talking therapy but nobody's actually provided me with any skills um or i haven't been like found any skills myself um that make me feel as though you know when a difficult time arises i can go back to that um so i think you know having that compassion for yourself and actually thinking okay what do i need to do right now um mm -hmm. in terms of going forward to to make sure that this isn't prolonged um but I, you know i don't know whether you'll agree with this um or not but my i you know years ago i thought that full recovery would be never having a single thought about like a negative thought about food or my body ever again i thought that it would be all rainbows and sparkles and i'd be able to eat cake every day um but actually now when i think about rec full recovery it's it's kind of not the food that kind of gets in my head it's more the connection with people around me and kind of mm -hmm. you know for me specifically being able to exercise without thinking about the calories um and i think sometimes you do go back to those behaviors but like you said it might be a one-off um and it and mm -hmm. it helps you in that moment and then you go back to your normal life so is that how you see full recovery or do you think that it's like completely possible to go and never never engage in the behavior again yeah i think that it's completely possible and i've had people I remember this one person I talked to and I just, <laughs> I didn't like her attitude about it. Cause she was like, no, I've never experienced that ever. That's not, no, it's completely gone. Um, but she was just kind of pompous about the fact that like you still experience some behaviors. It means that you're not fully recovered. It means that you still have a problem. That was kind of like the, the air of judgment she had, but she said, you know, I never experienced any behaviors. I never experienced any desires to binge or purge or do anything that would risk me going back to my eating disorder. So that is completely possible. But a lot of people that I've talked to, professionals and clients, they have both told me something along the lines of occasionally I have these desires, occasionally I might have these slip ups, but I can usually move through it. And I think a good example of recovery isn't that you are perfect, but it is that when those behaviors come up or they arise, you're able to deal with them differently than when you would before. Yes. I think a good sign of progress is, you know, because before when you had a binge and purge, you would just completely crush you and you'd give up everything and it's all black and white. But then let's say you have a binge and purge episode and you maybe are upset about it and you're frustrated and it's annoying, but you're like, all right, let's figure out why this happened. Let's deal with it. Let's move on. I think that's a great sign of recovery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, that's always been my sort of thought about it is that the behavior might arise, but it's how you act on it afterwards mm -hmm. and how you manage it that shows progress, shows recovery. Um yeah so yeah i think that you i think you're dead on um yeah. i just wanted to ask as well because i think maybe one thing that could potentially cause a relapse or for you to go back to the behaviors is weight gain and i know you mentioned that before um so when you're working with clients um if you know if weight gain is something that happens how do you navigate that because i can imagine that you know wanting to go back to restriction could be quite a difficult thing to navigate if you're if you're gaining weight in your recovery Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's almost, I don't want to say guaranteed, but it's highly likely you will gain weight in recovery or your weight will fluctuate. And I didn't weigh myself during my own kind of intuitive eating journey, but I definitely fluctuate in weight and I could tell. Um, when it comes to that, I'd say the same process as I talked about earlier is kind of like, well, first addressing 
what is bothering you about the weight gain? What scares you about the weight gain? What is it for you that you're fearing? And sometimes those fears are legitimate. I mean, unfortunately, your society does judge us firstly and foremost based on our appearance. So it's not like these people are insane for having these sort of fears, especially given their backgrounds and stuff like that. But then we talk about kind of, well, with the weight gain, how would you deal with it? Is this worth it to you? Why would you be willing to gain weight anyway? And it's more about that conversation. It's not about like, well, maybe the weight gain won't happen. It's kind of like, well, if it does, why is this worth it to you? Or is it not worth it to you? And then it's kind of about sitting with those reasons as well until you make come to a decision. But I, for me, I always ask people, if you knew a year from now, you would be um, done with bulimia. You would no longer be binging and purging. You would be happy and you would be at a weight that works for you. You'd be feeling good. Um, would you be willing to gain weight? Sometimes the answer is no, and we can address it. But a lot of times the answer is yes, and it helps them see that, oh, you know, actually this is going to lead for me to a lot better things. And if the answer is no, then we talk about why they're kind of willing to give up a happier life. And I don't, like you, I don't want to paint recovery as like daisies and rainbows. You're more present to things. It does suck. They're hard things. It's not like you're happy 24 seven. That would be really weird. But it is a better life than what they're experiencing now. But if they're willing to not gain that weight, then we want to talk about those reasons. So that's how I navigate that. Brilliant. I think that is such an excellent approach um, because it's so important. You know, if you lay down everything that you could have, if you don't have your eating disorder and it's still the weight is the most important thing to you, then looking into that, you know, I think that would be a massive barrier in terms of recovery. Um mm -hmm. And also, I think having that open acceptance of, you know, you might gain weight, your weight might fluctuate, who knows? Like, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, also, is so important because I remember in, when I was younger and I went for um, anorexia recovery and I was like, I don't want to gain weight. And um, they were like, don't worry, you'll only gain weight, gain weight until a certain point. And then they gave this number that was an arbitrary number that was, a you know, a quote unquote healthy weight for me. Um mm which was the most damaging thing possible in the world because it meant that any weight above that was you know higher than i was expected to be or would be an unhealthy weight or you know i didn't need to go any further than that in my recovery because i'd made it to that weight so i think mm -hmm. having that real open acceptance of you know we're doing this it's going to happen or it might not happen um but there's no kind of goal that we're trying to reach in terms of weight we're just trying to reach that happier more fulfilled life mm -hmm. yeah and I do. I don't want to come off as like, I think that there are like, there are certain aspects of weight that if you, if it's too high or it's too low, it's not healthy. There are health impacts of that. But um, I do try to tell people that if you do want to make health changes to your body later on, you can pursue that. But bulimia recovery is going to set you up to be in the best place possible for to do it. Because when you're in bulimia or any eating disorder, your food focus is like crazy high and trying to lose weight or make other health changes. Like maybe you want to get more into lifting weights or something. It's kind of sometimes doing the exact opposite of what you want to do to recover, which is being normal with food, trying to actually learn your hunger and satiety signals much better. So I do tell people that too, that it's not like, like, um, if you do want to try to make health changes later on, you can't try to pursue that. But right now you're trying to pursue it, pursue it from reasons that may not be that good. And you're probably going to pursue it in a very unhealthy way. And so we need to put, even if they aren't necessarily willing to give up weight loss, then we can put weight loss on the shelf. We can pause it right now and 
set you up to be in a better relationship with food. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. that's a great idea, you know, not saying that it can't ever happen, but actually right now, the way that you're trying to navigate it, it's probably not going to work long term. Yeah. And it's being really detrimental to you. Um, so, yeah, I think having that option, you know, if it feels right when it comes to it, um, you know, never say never sort of thing. Um, mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much um, for yeah, joining for me. me. You articulate things so well. Um, it's been so lovely to chat to you and, you know, hear about your experience and how that now shapes your work. Um, if people want to, well, I'm sure they will, because you're getting so much brilliant information today. Um, where wow, can people you. find you? <laughs> My head is just <laughs> super big now. Um, <laughs> good, good. It's funny too, like whenever I'm speaking, whenever anyone speaks, I think they feel this, but you're like, I'm, I'm not explaining this at all. But then you're like, yeah, you okay, did. it makes so sense well. listening back. <laughs> um, yeah, people can just find me at bingebreakers.com. My Instagram handle where I post a lot of stuff too is just bingebreakers underscore bulimia. Um, if you type in bingebreakers, you're likely to find me. And then um, my podcast has a wealth of information completely free uh, on bulimia recovery. And you can start, it's got like 130 episodes or something. So you can go there if you need support. And I will say, because people have been asking me, I recently updated my website. And so mm -hmm. I got rid of a lot of, a lot of old links that I had. So you might find some of the links are outdated. Just go to my website and the information I provide will be there. So okay. yeah, that's where Amazing. you can find me. Brilliant. I will put all that in the show notes below as well. Um, but yeah, thank honestly, you. thank you so much. It's been amazing to chat to you. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's been enjoyable talking with you as well. So thanks. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode. So be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.